chapter number three, and uh, we're going to finish up here out of Ephesians three. And really, we've been looking here, if you're just joining us, uh, we have been looking at our identity in Christ. And more specifically, here in uh, chapter number three, we've been covering this prayer that Paul has been praying for the believers here at Ephesus. And this prayer that he is praying for is for spiritual maturity in the believers. Uh, If there is one thing that should be evident in our lives, it should be that of spiritual maturity. There should come a time in your place as a believer in Christ that you are growing up in the fullness of the gospel. It should be that you are experiencing the fullness of God as what uh, Paul even prays here and talks about, uh, that we are being transformed by the power of the gospel. So if you know Christ, if Christ has come uh, to dwell in your hearts through faith, is what Paul says, uh, there should be a spiritual transformation that is taking place uh, throughout your life where you are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, that you are growing up in the fullness of God. So how does all that happen? Well, you know, Paul talks about this. Let's just refresh our memory here just real quickly. Uh, He talks about that uh, we should be strengthened in the inner man through the power of the Spirit is what he prays uh, in Ephesians 3. And uh, the result of that is that Christ comes to dwell in our hearts through faith. And then he talks about that we'd be able to comprehend, this is what we talked about last week, being able to grasp or understand the depth, the height, the love, the the magnitude of, of God's love, of Christ's love. And as we grow in that love, we're rooted and grounded in love as we're growing in that. Our depth and our height, the breadth of God's love, it's transforming us. And God is filling us with the fullness of himself. And the more that we grow in the depth and the the height and the, the, the breadth of God's love, the more that God continues to fill us with himself. And so it's a never-ending process is what Paul talks about. And so the result of all of this is that we grow up in spiritual maturity in Christ. Now, Paul is going to end this prayer, and he ends it with these two verses. And these these verses are amazing because this is kind of like the, I want you to understand about how great God is and what he can do in your life. And Paul's going to finish up uh, with these verses here. So let's read these verses as what Paul says here in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, verses 20 and 21. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul has just prayed this prayer for these Ephesian believers for spiritual maturity. And it's a prayer that they would come to total spiritual perfection in their life. To be filled with the fullness of God. I don't think you could get any higher than that. To be filled with the fullness of God. Could you say of your life that you are filled with the fullness of God? 
I'm not asking what type of spiritual activities you do. I'm asking, are you experiencing the fullness of God in your life? That is what Paul is praying for. And so Paul closes this prayer by saying, in case you think that it is too much to ask God to fill his saints to all of his fullness, he says, basically, remember that he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power and for his glory. You see, God is not just able to do beyond what we ask, but abundantly, he says, beyond. But see, that's not enough. Because he is able to do far more abundantly beyond what we ask, but we still aren't to the limit. Look at verse 20 again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Now what is it in your life do you need? What do you need? What prayer do you need to be answered in your life. What is it? I want to encourage you to pray in faith. Asking that God to do far beyond all that we could ever ask or think. But also I really don't want to gloss over the fact. That sometimes we were just talking about this in Sunday school this morning. That sometimes in our prayers that when we pray. We do not see God answer those prayers. You see, I think sometimes we have this idea that just because we know the Father and we ask in prayer, that he has an obligation then to answer our prayer. Kind of like a, like a bellhop, you know, or a, a genie. Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? That's not God. And so God does things according to his will, according to what he desires, not what we desire. So what is it that you need in life? And so I want to encourage you to pray in faith, asking God to do far beyond, above all that you could ever ask or think, because that's what Paul is telling us to pray for. I mean, here's his prayer, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And Paul says, God is able to do far above that, beyond that, he's able to do that. You see, there are many disappointments that we find in Scripture of people that prayed, and yet those prayers were not even answered. Think about John the Baptist when he was put in prison. I'm sure his disciples were praying earnestly that he would be delivered. But instead, he was executed. He had his head cut off. In Paul's ministry alone, I'm sure there were many times that he prayed. We find that he prayed for the people of Jerusalem. He prayed for the Jews that they might come to know Christ. And yet they did not. There were men in the ministry that Paul served with. And they disappointed him. And I'm sure that he prayed for their repentance. But yet they did not repent. Admiriah Judson was a great man of faith. Who gave his life to reaching the people of Burma. And yet he labored for years. 
before his first convert. And even when he died, there was not even very much visible fruit. And we may think about that. We may say, but so what? God was not powerful enough. God was not in control. God was not doing something. No, he was. He was doing it according to his will. He was doing it according to his desires. I'm sure maybe many of you have prayed for individuals to repent, but yet they have not. I'm sure maybe you have prayed for people's marriages who are being torn apart and you see them crumbling and you are praying that there'd be reconciliation, but yet those marriages still have ended in divorce. Does that mean that God did not hear us, that God has not heard our prayer, that God is not able to do far abundantly above what we could ever ask or think? God is still in control. God is able to do far abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Maybe you have prayed for a wayward son or a daughter or family or a relative, but maybe they still have not chosen to come to Christ. Maybe they still are living a life of sin. I want to encourage you to continue to pray. Continue to ask the Lord who is able to do far abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. So I want to motivate you to pray big prayers with faith in a mighty God who is able to do far more abundantly above and all that we could ever ask. But at the same time, I do not want to gloss over the situation of understanding that many times there are difficult struggles that we will encounter in prayer. You see, we cannot simply know the big picture of what God is doing. God is working behind the scenes, doing things that we do not even know what he's capable of doing. And so sometimes we will experience disappointments in prayer. Now keep in mind this context of what Paul is asking for here. This prayer that Paul is praying is not for physical miracles, but for spiritual maturity. That's what we need in our Christian life. We need spiritual maturity. Now, is God able to do physical miracles? Absolutely. He's absolutely capable of doing far abundantly above all that we could ever ask. But what is it that we need in our lives? We need spiritual maturity in our Christian lives. So Paul is saying basically because God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, we should pray for that which would rather further his glory through Christ and his church. I want to show you two things about this ending prayer of Paul, uh, Paul's prayer here. First of all, notice this. Number one, the power that is, work, that is at work within us. Because we know Christ is our Savior, there is a power that is at work in our lives. And it is that power which is at work that allows us to see what God is doing far more abundantly above and all that we could ever ask or think. Look what he says here again in verse 20. Now, now to him who is able, God is able. If you ever start thinking in your mind that God can't. God can. Look what the scripture says. Who is able? 
God is able. God is able to do far abundantly above in all that we could ever ask or think. And he says, according to the power at work within us. You see, God is able to do far more abundantly above in all that we could ever ask because of his power. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the great display of God's power at work. Think about it in creation. In Romans 1.20, we read, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they understood through that which was made. So people are without excuse. In Psalm 33, verse number 6 and 9, it says, By the Lord's decree the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all the starry host. For he spoke... And it came into existence. He issued the decree and it stood firm. That is God's power. We see it in his judgments. He brought judgment on the world through a worldwide flood in the day of Noah. He laid to waste the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wicked homosexual lifestyle. He brought the plagues upon Egypt and drowned all the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. When Christ comes back, he will be coming as a judge to judge the earth. Listen to what Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 says. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. Jesus is coming back as a judge. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We see his power in his judgments. We see his power in converting sinners. Just think of the life of Paul. Before Paul was the apostle and going out and preaching and, and telling of the great mystery of God, of how Christ came into the world to save sinners, what was Paul doing? He was persecuting believers. He was finding people that were Christians and, and hauling them into jail. We find in the book of Acts that it was Paul that was standing there holding the coats of those that were stoning Stephen and stoning him to death. And yet Paul was converted. We saw that great power that was at work in the life of Paul. In our text here, Paul refers to this power that is at work within us. Remember Ephesians 1.19? It says here, Ephesians 1.19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? 
So Paul says that this power that is at work in us is the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. That is the power which God uses to display that he is far able to do greater, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And so Paul says it's this power that is at work in us. You see, we need to remember that the conversion of a soul is not a display of human willpower. Did you ever say this to God? Wow, God, I'm so glad I had enough faith to believe in you. God, wow, you know, I don't know about these other sinners over here, but you got something really special when you saved me. No, you didn't. Remember where you were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, following uh, your, your lustful passions of your heart and your flesh. You were by nature children of the devil following his desires. But it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, has saved you. So we see his power. It's a, it's a display of God's mighty power in raising us. And we see his power when we are unable to do anything. You see, the whole point of this prayer that Paul is praying is to ask God to do what we cannot do in our own strength or ability. Can you yourself become spiritually mature in Christ by your own willpower? No. That's what makes grace so amazing. That's what makes the gospel so amazing because it's not in yourselves. It's through the power of God that changes you and transforms you into spiritual maturity with Christ. God's word is filled with people who are faced with impossible situations and circumstances, but yet God worked his power through them when they were unable to do anything. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Remember, here's Abraham and Sarah. God has promised Abraham that he's going to have a child. And Sarah is how old? 90? Sarah, you're 90 years old and you're going to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, right. God says, where did Sarah, wherefore did Sarah laugh? What happened? She had a baby. God was able to do far abundantly above all that they could ever ask or think. What about the parting of the Red Sea? Remember, here they are, the children of Israel being led out of Egypt. And God purposely leads them in a certain way, in a certain path. And as they're going, they're surrounded by mountains on either side. Before them is the vastness of the Red Sea. And uh-oh, who's coming up behind us? Here is Pharaoh and his army, and they are not happy. In fact, they're going to want to overtake them. 
And the people are going, oh no, what's going to happen? You have purposely led us in this way to die. And what does Moses say? He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses stretches out his rod and what happens? The Red Sea opens up. They were able to pass over on dry ground. And here comes the Egyptian army, man. They really start hitting the, the chariots really hard. They're moving in there. And as they get in there, what happens? Man, it takes them all out. Completely drowns them. What about Peter's imprisonment? We find that here Herod in prison, the apostle Peter, was planning to execute him. And Peter was chained to two guards inside the prison there. He could not get out. And he's, he's in there. He's praying. They're singing. The people there, the church, they're praying. An angel comes and delivers Peter out of prison. In fact, it's, so fun. it's a funny story. You read about it there in Acts. And Peter actually goes over there where the people are praying, knocks on the door. And there's a, there's a child there, and she recognizes Peter's voice, and he says, hey, it's me, it's Peter. No, no way. You're not Peter. Peter's in prison. Hello, they've been praying that God would deliver him. And what does God do? He delivers Peter. But you know, it's interesting, however, in the same part of that, in Acts chapter number 12, we read about James, who was also imprisoned. Peter gets delivered, but what happens to James? He's executed. Was the church praying for Peter as well? They were. Were they praying for James? Could be. But yet God did not deliver James. He was executed. Turn over to Hebrews real quick. I want to show this to you because I believe that sometimes in our, pray, in our prayer, we, we want to see God do something. We want to see him move. We want to see some amazing things happen. And God says, I am able to do far abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Look at Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 33. Let's begin in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets. This is the hall of faith. These are, the, these are people that lived their life through faith and they lived great faith. And look what he says about them. Who through faith they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Boy, we say, man, that is amazing what God is doing. Look at this power that is at work. But then we continue reading. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. This wasn't a magic trick. They were cut in half. Christians, cut in half. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these through commanded through their faith did not receive what was promised. You see, they believed God, but he did not deliver them. And so while God often displays his power and, it, and, and, and work that is within us through prayer, there are some times that God chooses not to display his power. And that can be difficult. That can be a time where we say, boy, God must not really care. But I remind you again of the scripture. It says that God is able to do far abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that is work within us. In Colossians 1, 11, verses, uh, 1, uh, verse 11 through 12, it says, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons maybe why God does not display this great, awesome power is because maybe he wants to display it through patience and endurance in your life. Listen to what he continues to say here. To display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we hear about Paul's affliction that he had for many, many years. And he has this thorn in his side, this affliction. And he says, I besought the Lord three times to deliver me from this. And listen to what he says. Even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations, therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore I am content with weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. You see, but when, even when God chooses not to deliver us, it is not because he is lacking in power. He is able to do far abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. God is in control. It's his desire, his will, not ours. Here's the second thing I want to show you about this. For the furtherance of his glory and the church. Listen to what Paul finishes his prayer up with. To him be glory in the church and in 
Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul here is praying in harmony. He is praying in agreement with God's purpose. What is that purpose, Paul? For God's glory. Can I tell you sometimes many of the prayers that we pray for ourselves are selfish prayers. They're not for the glory of God. Previous church that we were at, uh, there was a little girl. I think she was about nine or ten years old. Her name was Zoe. Zoe got a very rare form of brain cancer. They took her to St. Jude. There was prayers. There was uh, times of, of the church gathering together to pray for her. Um, and it seemed like things were getting better, but then they would get worse. She went through chemo. She went through radiation. People were praying earnestly that God would deliver her, that God would, would raise her up. She died. One of the comments that I heard from one of the uh, other fellow uh, believers there at the church was, I was so sure that God was going to heal her. Maybe he didn't hear us enough. What do we do with something like that? God is at work, and the reason why he works is for his glory, not our own. God receives glory in things that we do not understand. God receives glory in the death of his son, Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. How could God receive glory in through the death of Christ? But he does. So Paul prays here for God's glory. Everything that God does, it's for his glory. It's all about him. From creation to redemption to revelation, it's all about the glory of God. Everything. Just here in Ephesians alone, we see about the, the glory of God and how God is revealing his glory through his saints, through the church, through Christ. And so God does everything for his glory. You see, as God saves people from their sins, it's for his glory. As God resurrects them to new life in Christ, it's for his glory. As he seats them in heavenly places, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 6, it is for his glory. And so Paul's prayer is that we might understand that everything that God is going to do in your situation, your difficulty, your trial, your trouble, it is for his glory and not our own. And we need to pray in that way for God's glory, for his purpose. So what is his purpose for God's glory and for the church? Look at the second thing that Paul mentions here. He says this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. God's glory is displayed in his church when we live in harmony and obedience and ask him to work through us for his purpose and glory. Why would Paul mention that prayer for spiritual maturity for the furtherance of the church? Why would he mention that? 
Why is it important that it's for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the church? Because Paul has been showing us that the church is that new creation. Remember Jew and Gentile coming together as one man, one body. Paul says everything that God has been doing, revealing the purpose and the mystery of the church is for God's glory. And so think about this. We as a group of believers have gathered together here Sunday, July 1st, 2018. What do you need? The things that we need, are they for God's glory? And are they for the purpose of the furtherance of the church? We should probably really start rearranging our prayer life. The neighbors that you live next to, are they lost? Do they need Christ? Do you need spiritual maturity in your own life? Is it for God's glory and for the furtherance of the church? That's what Paul is trying to get us to see so that we might be filled with the fullness of God. And when we come together as believers in Christ, we are to be praying for God's glory. We're to be praying for the furtherance of the church. So I find out a need that Tom has. He's got a lot of them. And what we should be doing is we should be praying in agreement with each other for the God's glory. We should be praying in agreement together for the furtherance of the church. Broken marriages need to be restored. People that are lost need to come to a relationship with Christ. Are we praying for that? Are we praying for God's power to be revealed? That is the purpose. When we gather together, we are to pray. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to see here. So to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout, notice this, all generations. So how can we apply this truth that God will do more than we could ever ask? Here's four simple things I want to give you real quick. Number one, first, don't be guilty of not having because you haven't asked. Jesus said it very clearly, you have not because you ask not. Prayer is not just a one-time thing. Jesus said, it is a person that continually goes and goes and goes and goes and begs and goes and goes and begs. And it says, because of his importunity, he will arise and give you. So don't be guilty of not having because you haven't asked. Secondly, don't be guilty of not having because you doubt God's ability or his willingness to give. He is able, is what God says. Nothing is impossible with God. 
nothing. You see, as the loving father that God is, he gives good things to those who ask. Remember, if you have a son or a daughter and they ask of you bread, you are not going to give them a stone. If you ask of them fish, they ask of you fish, you're not going to give them a serpent. God gives good things to those who ask. And we can't always understand his ways, but he is good in everything that he does. Thirdly, don't be guilty of praying small prayers. Pray big prayers. Because he says he is able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Pray big prayers. Fourth, pray for yourself and for this church that for his glory God would do through us that which is humanly impossible. What is God capable of doing through this church? Through you as believers in Christ. What is God capable of doing? He can do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. And it's for his glory. I think what we ought to do instead of coming to the Lord. Remember when the disciples were going to feed the multitude there. And Jesus said... I want you to feed them. Get some food. She said, Lord, we just, we just got a couple bucks here. How can, we, how can we feed this giant multitude of people here? There was a lad there that had five loaves, two fishes. And they said, but what are these among so many? What did he do? He took them, he broke them, and he multiplied them. God is able to use you, to use me, to use this congregation to do far abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. He is able. Let's pray together.